Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday service. I hope you're having a fantastic morning, a fantastic week, wherever you are at. Uh, if you are listening online through our audio feed, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you just have to search Faith on Hill. Uh, the audio versions are also available on our website as well, faithonhill.com. We want to say welcome. If you're on our video feed, either live streamed on our website at 10.30 a.m. or you are uh, watching this video live or later on our Facebook page, I want to say welcome to you. We consider this a uh, valid and equal service to our in-person Sunday service. And we want to invite you to connect with us. Uh, we gather together on Sunday mornings and we meet throughout the week in small groups. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. We have a Sunday morning small group, a Wednesday night online small group. We have a uh, Tuesday night young adult small group. And our youth group, which is separate, uh, also meets on Tuesday nights. We don't believe church is just coming to a room and hearing somebody talk or coming to a room and praying or singing together. We believe church is the community of believers in a local setting. And so we want to invite you to be actively a part of that. Some of the ways that you can be part of our church is uh, we're always taking donations for the Wichita Family Center. Uh, so if you want to bring uh, non-perishable food items by, we'd love to uh, work a time for you to do that. Uh, you can also give to the work that God is doing here at Faith on Hill, both as a way of supporting each other, but also as an act of worship, and you can do that on our website. You go to faithonhill.com and you look for the Give tab. We are continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew, so if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew's chapter 4, uh, we're going to talk about the temptation of Jesus this morning as we study God's Word together. Well, Matthew chapter 4 takes place after the baptism of Jesus. And while Matthew is a little loose with his how far is it between one story and another, the other Gospels tell us that it was immediately after Jesus was baptized, maybe even that very day. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. Now, we unapologetically believe in the supernatural, which is the positive Christian way of expressing miracles, healings, the divine work of God. We also unapologetically believe in the demonic. We believe that there are forces of evil and darkness that are in this world working on the spiritual plane. And this story, this account of the temptation of Christ gives us both. The supernatural, Jesus being led by the Spirit. Uh, at the end of the story, we're going to read that there are angels that appear around Jesus, and there is the demonic. The devil himself appears before Jesus. After fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, most people have never done this. They've never stopped eating for 40 days. Lent is coming up. I am not an observer of Lent, and I have had my issues with the practice over the years. At the same time, I've talked to brothers and sisters in Christ who have found it incredibly beneficial and encouraging for them. 
I talked to one friend of mine who credits observing Lent as helping him not only keep his faith, but keep his sanity during the hardest moment of his life. But it's this idea of for 40 days giving up something. Sometimes it's a certain practice, sometimes it's a certain food, whatever. You may not believe it to look at me, but I've actually fasted. I've stopped eating for 40 days. I did it once. It's crazy. And if you, if you want to know about it, I'd, I'd be happy to talk about it sometimes. But it doesn't say that he stopped drinking water. He, was, he would have had to have keep drinking water. The longest you can go without water and not die is about three days. But the human body can go f- actually f- beyond 40 days. Now, uh, he is hungry, but he's not just hungry. He's weak. One of the things that surprised me after 30 days of fasting was that I would come home from work and I had to ice. I had to ice my arm. I had to ice my leg. And the first day I thought it was weird. And the second day I had to ice, I realized what was going on is that my body was not getting enough nutrients so that as I was working a physical job, it was not replenishing itself. And so I was starting to get muscle aches and strains that were associated with not getting enough nutrients. So Jesus is in a physically deprived state. The Christian practice of fasting is the idea that we discipline our bodies so that we can build inner strength. The more disciplined I am, you know, when it comes to how I control myself, uh, the, the easier, in, in a general sense, it is to live in other kinds of disciplines. And as I am disciplining myself, perhaps you fast a lunch. This is a real common practice. Somebody, instead of eating lunch or eating breakfast, they skip a meal. I know people that do it weekly. They skip a meal once a week. And in that place where they would have eaten, they take time to pray or study the Word of God or some, some form of spiritual discipline. This isn't something any Christian has to do. It is something that our Lord did, and so maybe once in your life, if you are in the place in your own physical health where that's okay, um, that you can do. I would say the 40-day thing is a young, young person's objective, but the idea of building spiritual discipline is something for all of us. Verse 2, uh, sorry, verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Then the devil took him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their head, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He's there quoting Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. Jesus responds and says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test, quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, 
and the angels came and attended to him. Woo! I don't believe, I think it very unlikely, I should say, that I've ever been tempted by the devil himself, Satan himself. I believe that when Satan fell from heaven, rebelled against God, that he brought possibly up to a third of the angelic beings with him in his rebellion. And I don't have time to get into the verses we find that in, but uh, Isaiah and the book of the Revelation both speak to these things. I believe that there are demonic forces working for evil in this world. I believe that there are demonic forces against us, you and me, as believers. I believe there are demonic forces tormenting those who are still in darkness and rebellion against God. But I don't believe that I have been tempted by the devil himself because I just don't believe I'm that big of a deal. Jesus gets the, you know, the full court press. Jesus is that big of a deal. Now, it says that the Spirit of God took Jesus to the wilderness. Now, why did God want Jesus there? Why the wilderness? The first thing I would say is this. If God, the Spirit, led Jesus there, it was where God wanted Jesus to be. Wait, wasn't Jesus God? I said last week, that one of the really mysterious things about the story of Jesus' baptism is that it deals with his dual nature as both fully human and fully God, and it deals with God's triune nature, Father, Son, and Spirit, that are understood and yet mysterious. The same is true this week. We are dealing with things that are understood to be true and yet incredibly mysterious in how they work out. But God the Father wanted Jesus, God the Son, there. And through the Spirit, he was led to the wilderness. That's where God wanted him to be. And maybe you find yourself in a place where you say, how am I, how did I get here? Why am I here? Why am I walking through this? And there comes moments where you just have to say, this is where I believe God wants me to be. Now, does that mean that anywhere I am is automatically where God wants me to be? No. Let's say that you're in a place of uncertainty. You're in a place in your life where you say, am I supposed to be here? What I have found is helpful and true in those situations is to go back. When was the last time I knew for sure that I heard from the Lord? And then I trace my steps from there. And there have been moments in the middle of the whirlwind, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of doubt, in the middle of trial, in the middle of uncertainty and fear. And I have looked back and I have said, I am exactly where God told me to be. The last time I know I heard from God, this is the end result. So I'm going to stand firm here because this is where I'm supposed to be. Now, there have been other times where I've been like, oh, I don't know that this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I've gone back to where I was the last time I heard from the Lord and said, I'm going to start from square one here. But maybe you're in the wilderness, so to speak, and you say, I know God brought me here, and I don't know why I'm here, and I don't know why I am alone, or I don't know why I'm feeling deprived, or I don't know why I feel isolated, or I don't know this or that, but I know God wants me here. Don't despair of the work that God is doing in that wilderness season. Some paths can only be walked alone. No one can do that inner work in you. Somebody else can't go through a trial for you. 
No one else can build that strength in your inner person. Only God doing his work in you and in me individually can make that happen. And it's there in the wilderness. And all through the scripture, we see people having times of the wilderness. We see Moses for decades out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness of Midian, feeling like he had failed to deliver his people, that he was washed up, and yet it was in the wilderness that God was forming him and getting him ready for the work of deliverance that he would do. King David, out in the wilderness with his sheep, so unimportant in his own family that when the prophet Samuel says, hey, bring all your sons so that I can meet them, that his father doesn't even think to call him in from the fields. And then later on, after God has said, you will be the king, he is on the run, he is hiding in caves, but it was in that time that God was forming him. And we could speak of more. We could speak of the prophet Elijah, who for years had to hide in this little ravine near a brook, And God had to feed him miraculously because he needed to hide from the king until the time was right for God to move. We could speak of Daniel and his friends in their exile in Babylon. Daniel alone that night in the lion's den. We could speak of Paul the apostle who after his conversion in the city of Damascus, after he became a Christian, spent 14 years in the wilderness, in in backwater places, overlooked and unwanted for ministry until the time was right for God to use them. In my own life, I have experienced what I would call wilderness seasons, times where I have felt like, what am I doing here? And it was in those moments, in those months, in those years at one point, where God was shaping and molding me. And I believe he does that for all of us. Do I fully understand what was happening there? No, but the human Jesus needed this. And that's where he found himself in the will of God. Now, one of the things that needed to happen, you remember last week when Jesus was baptized, he said to John the Baptist, this has to happen so that I can fulfill all righteousness. The same is happening here. That Jesus, the human Jesus, needed to experience the full temptations of humanity. Jesus needed to experience the full temptations of humanity so that he could say, I have gone through it all and I have come out the other side without fault. If God had just created a human form for himself and then said, all right, take me to the cross, what good is that? But the God in human flesh, Jesus Christ walked through this world and not only walked through this world, but experienced everything, every temptation, and then walked out the other side without fault, proved and, and made him that perfect and acceptable sacrifice to pay the sins of the entire world. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And every person who has sinned, who has done what was wrong in the sight of God, deserves death. Jesus did nothing wrong. He deserved no death. But he went willingly on our behalf. Now, I was thinking about this 
we are told three ways in which the devil tempted Jesus. It is my firm belief, it is my firm belief that there was more than this. It's my firm belief that there was more than this. But we are given three primary examples. And I think they speak to three big picture temptations that reveal themselves in different ways in our lives. The first, of course, is that Jesus is hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. And so the devil tempts him to use his power for his own self-good. Verse 3, you're hungry. He says, if you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus was there at creation and that he was, again, we don't fully understand how the Trinity works, but the Gospel of John tells us that he was the driving force in creation of the whole world. Jesus could have said to those stones, become bread, become a steak dinner, become my favorite hot dog, whatever it, you know, whatever it would have been. What's your favorite food? He could have said, become that. But he would have been doing it for himself, not because the Father told him. Let's let alone the fact that he was doing what the chief enemy of God was telling him to do. He would have been submitting himself to the devil. But outside of that, what was the big picture temptation? Satisfy your own selfish wants. Satisfy your own body. That's the temptation. Look, it's shooting fish in a barrel for me to, to go into this one, right? Because if you've been around the church, you could see where I could go preaching on this one. We live in a culture that is obsessed with satisfying our own bodies. Incidentally, so did the first Christians. The satisfaction of our own bodies in, in Roman culture was highly important highly regarded, dominate others, get everything you can for yourselves, do what you have to do to enjoy life. And you can read, it wasn't a practice then, but it became a practice later on in Roman culture. Uh, these parties they would have where they would glutton themselves, and then they would literally like, they'd force themselves to throw up so they could keep eating. It, it was it, it was a practice of just self-indulgence. Uh, take as many, you know, wives as you can. Take, uh, do what you want with whatever you want and however you want to do it. Commonplace. Satisfy your own body. And it doesn't just mean with, you know, sexual desire, but it could also mean, uh, you know, with, with other physical desires, uh, overeating, substance abuse, um, taking for myself from someone else so that I can have enough even if somebody else goes without. Satisfy your own body. That's the first temptation that, that he is given. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't debate it. He doesn't read. He responds with the word of God. He says, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what is his rebuke to this temptation? He says this, the desires of my body, the desires of my body 
are nothing compared to doing the will of my Father. He responds to the temptation not with his own inner strength, but with the word of God. He quotes the scripture, and he says that is the more important thing. We live in a culture that does not understand, does not understand self-denial. It doesn't. It doesn't understand self-denial. Because why would you deny yourself? Just go ahead and enjoy yourself. Even people who are incredibly focused and they do everything physically right so that their body is in peak health, and then you find out, oh yeah, but they've got this thing that they just have, you know, I can't control myself. People who never are uh, selfish sexually and yet just gluttons, literally. People who've never had a substance abuse problems, but just, you know, they can't control. The, the, there's, there's this desire for, for getting ahead. And, and, and what I'm saying is this idea of self-satisfaction. There comes a point where you have to decide whatever God has for me is better. When I was young, I grew up in a church. I grew up in a church that emphasized the second coming of Jesus. And I am still excited for the second coming of our Lord. I believe he's coming soon, and I pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But when you grow up as a young man in a church that emphasizes the second coming of Jesus, and you think to yourself, hey, I'm 12, 13, 14 years old, and I've just figured out that girls are important. What happens if Jesus comes back tomorrow and ah, there's a whole bunch of things I can't ever do. There's life that I can't live. I want to go see the world. I want to I do something. I want to build something. And I, I remember I was in a, a, a Bible study. My youth pastor would come to our high school and uh, we had a bunch of juniors and seniors that came to the same school that I did. And then I was the freshman. I was like the only freshman uh, who went to the same youth group, and so I was allowed to come. And so on one side of this big room would be like these like five or six junior and senior upperclassmen guys. On the other side of the room, girls from our church that came to the same school who were all seniors and juniors, they were having their own little meeting. And our youth pastor was talking to the guys, and he said, like, what's something that you just like have trouble having faith in God about? And I shared that I, I felt like I was worried about the, uh, I was worried about Jesus coming again. So as I shared these concerns and doubts with the group of guys, one of the guys just blurted out, <laughs> Adam just wants to have sex. And every one of those high, upper class high school girls turned and looked over at this little freshman kid who they all assume is some kind of pervert now. And I wanted to die. But they weren't 100% wrong. That there are things in this world that we want. We want and we say, you know what? If, if God is denying me that right, then I should just go take it because God's trying to hold back from me. And we in faith believe that whatever God has for us is better than whatever it is that we want to do outside of his will. If God wanted Jesus to eat, then he would have led him to a place of food. 
Instead, God the Father, through the Spirit, had led Jesus to the wilderness, and he had been fasting for 40 days. Jesus' first temptation was to satisfy his own body, and he responded in faith by claiming the word of God. The second temptation is to just do whatever you want. It's interesting that after Jesus responds with the word of God, the devil quotes the Bible. That's crazy, right? The devil quotes the Bible. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up they will lift you up in their hands and you will not strike your foot against a stone. By the way, I checked. I double checked. The devil is quoting from the Psalms and he did not misquote. He is accurately quoting the scripture. The temptation is do whatever you want. Jesus is fully human. And yet he has an awareness of the power that he has. Jesus turned water to wine. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus raised the dead. Have you ever thought, in this age of comic book superhero movies, have you ever thought what superpower you would have if you could have any superpower? Wouldn't I'll tell you the truth. As much as we'd all like to think we're Captain America and we're going to do the right thing, how many of us would be supervillains? Or not even so much heroes and villains, as just somebody who's self-focused and self-centered. I'm going to use this ability to get ahead. And yet, God's given us talents. He's given us skills. He's given us things that we are uniquely gifted in. And I can choose to build my own world and my own kingdom, or I can choose to build others. And to say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I give this away? You've given it to me. How can I use it for your glory and your kingdom? The temptation is to do whatever you want. Now, how does that jive with the, the devil quoting scripture? Because even Christians will do this. Whenever you have something that is big enough, contains enough words, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. You can take one verse in the Bible and quote it and say, hey, this gives me cover for whatever it is I want to do. And there are certainly Christians who take verses like this. He will give his angels charge over you. They will lift you up in their hands. Your foot will not strike a stone. And then they do foolish things because of this. They want to go do something foolish, and then they use verses like this as an excuse. When I lived in England, at least once a year, I would read a story in the newspaper about a church, almost always in London, but about a church in London where somebody died because they were handling snakes. Why would Christians be handling snakes? Because they are taking a verse from the book of Acts where the apostle Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake and lived. And so they say, hey, we're going to be people of faith. And so they handle these poisonous snakes saying, see, we believe that because we have such great faith that God will protect us. And it felt like at least once a year, I would read a story in the paper about somebody getting bit by a poisonous snake in the middle of London and they would die and it would get reported in the news. 
because they did what they wanted to do and they took a verse out of context to do it. They took a verse to prove what they were wanting to do. You might remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about hermeneutics. That's the method that we use to interpret the scripture. And we said that if you don't have a good hermeneutic, then you're just going to confirm your own bias. But a, but a good hermeneutic, a good method of interpreting the scripture will challenge our own bias and will give clarity to the scriptures. So what does Jesus do? He says, yeah, the scripture says that. It also says, don't test the Lord your God. So when I read Psalm 91, where it says that God will give his angels charge over me, that they will lift me up in their hands and my foot will not strike a stone, I'm not going to go see how fast I can drive down McLaughlin and say, it doesn't matter because the Lord's giving his angels charge over me. I'm not going to go out and live recklessly and say it doesn't matter because God works all things together for good. It says, don't test the Lord your God. And, it, and we, even as Christians, we can be tempted to do what we want to do. We can be tempted and we will find, we'll make the Bible say whatever we want it to say instead of being challenged by the entirety of the Word of God, instead of being challenged by the community of believers, somebody comes and says, I think this is, this is what the Bible says, and this is what God wants me to do. And the community of believers says, I don't think that's true. Hey, have you considered this? What about this other part of the Bible that says that? And I'm going to tell you the truth. In our day, in this moment, I believe that there are Christians all across this country that are falling into the temptation to just do whatever they want to do. And when some other part of their church or the church at large or the Word of God itself says different, they stick their fingers in their ear and they just go forward and do whatever they want to do. Wasn't the temptation for Jesus, take your power, do something incredible with it. Jesus could have literally... I, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I really believe this. Jesus probably could have flown. And if you're like putting together a list of superpowers that I'd want, flying would be very high up there. And yet he did the will of the Father. And when Jesus used the powers that he had, they were for others. They were because the Lord, had, his Father had led him to that place, to that moment. He operated in the will of God. powers like he was a magician. I have the Holy Spirit in me. I have the Holy Spirit in me. And so does every Christian. And I could try to seek my own good, or I can say, Lord, you have given me a gift of grace. How can I use it for others and live in your will? That's the temptation. The third temptation is to find a shortcut. What is it that the devil says? He says, hey, it says he took him up to a high place. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all this I will give to you. And what was Jesus' purpose? He came to save the world. We're told, I read it this morning in the book of the Revelation, that Jesus is worthy to take the world and to repossess it. The devil offers him a shortcut. No betrayal. 
No arrest, no illegal trial, no physical and verbal and emotional and perhaps other kinds of abuses, no horrific death by crucifixion, no spiritual agony by having all of the sins of the world placed upon you as a sacrifice. I'll give it all to you. And the temptation that Jesus faced, that all of us will face at some point in our lives, or at multiple points in our lives, is to find a shortcut to say, this is where I know I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I can shortcut, I can circumvent the process that God wants to do. I'll try to get ahead without submitting myself to others. I'll try to get ahead without going into the wilderness and being forged and formed. I'll try to go ahead without building spiritual disciplines. I will try to find a shortcut to get around and get there quicker. And Jesus says, no way. In fact, he says, get away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, I don't know if you've ever met the type of Christian that like is just walking around and then something happens and they go, get away from me, devil. I've met that type of Christian. I think they're ridiculous. At the same time, there have been moments in my life where I have literally said this because, not again, not because I believe that the actual devil himself is tempting me, but I have experienced temptation or doubt or, or whatever And I have had to say, I reject this. I believe that Jesus is true. I believe that whatever God has for me is better and greater and worth whatever wilderness I am walking through. And the temptation to find a shortcut around the work that God wants to do in you and through you will always be there. It'll always be easier to do something different but it won't be better. It won't be better. Now, somebody might say, but I'm not Jesus, Adam. You know, Jesus did all of this, but I'm, I'm just me. Yeah, I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. But in the way that we can be like Jesus, every Christian can be filled with the Holy Spirit the way that the human Jesus was. Every Christian can be filled with the Holy Spirit He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and the Spirit didn't just leave him once he got there. Lord, today, fill me with your Spirit so that I might live in your power. I don't know what that means. Here's what I know. There are plenty of things that I haven't fully known what it meant, but I knew they were good. I knew that I wanted it, and so I pursued it. If you know that the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the life of the believer is valid and real and good and it's something you want, then you can pursue it. You can pray. You can ask. You can seek. The second thing that we can do to be like Jesus and and have the same victory over temptation, Jesus knew the word of God. Jesus quoted the scripture in each case, to fight back against the temptation that the human Jesus was experiencing, he quoted the scriptures. He knew the Bible. The more that we engage with the Word of God, the stronger we will be spiritually to fight temptation. You might say, 
this, I don't know, Jesus fasted for 40 days, but maybe there's a, a calling for us to, to fast a meal or a day or whatever, or to say, what can I do to discipline myself so that I can grow in strength? Because we can build our faith and our faithfulness. This is Jesus at the start of his ministry. He was obedient to the Father in baptism. He was obedient to the leading of the Spirit, and he went to the wilderness. He was faithful before God in fighting temptation. And this was not the hardest moment of his ministry. When he was arrested, when he agonized in the garden the night before his crucifixion, when he stayed the course through his trial and his abuse and his crucifixion, when he, he, he told his disciples, you know, put away your swords. They were trying to defend him. And he said, I could call a thousand angels down to defend me if I wanted to. But he went willingly to the cross. And again, we, do we understand fully how the human and fully God parts of Jesus were together? No. But we know that the fully human Jesus built his faithfulness over a long progression leading to the cross. We can follow Jesus' model. Verse 11, it says, The devil left him and the angels came and attended him. It's interesting to me. Everything the devil tempted him with, after he resisted that temptation, he got. The angels came and attended him. I, I believe they brought food. He was hungry. I, I believe that, that, that he was looking for the, you know, the, was it the second temptation to use the power of God? And yet he sees, the human Jesus sees the power of God. And then what happens after his death and resurrection? He's going to get the whole world. He'll buy and redeem the whole world. Everything that the devil tempted him with, satisfy yourself, do whatever you want. Shortcut the process because he fought that temptation. He resisted and he stayed faithful to the will of his father. He ended up getting it all anyway. But without the pain and the destruction. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him which is the completed work of redemption, the, the calling out of his people. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We, as we fight temptation, we can be filled with the Spirit, we can grow in knowing the word of God. We can build our faith and our faithfulness through spiritual disciplines like prayer, fasting, baptism, communion, community. All of these things are true. And we can follow Jesus' example in knowing that whatever God has for us, that joy set before us is worth whatever wilderness or trial we are walking through. It is worth it to say no to sin. It is worth it to say yes to what God has called us to do. It is worth it to cut off that which destroys, to 
do what we need to do so that sin has no foothold in our lives. It's worth forgiving that person. It's worth putting internet filters on your phone and devices. It's worth pouring that bottle down the drain. It's worth putting yourself into a community where you can have be known and know people and you can have accountability. It's worth being connected. It's all worth it because it's within the will of God as we find in the scriptures. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead works in us. Let's pray together for the power of God. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We are told to pray for your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth, in Milwaukee, in Oak Grove, in Gladstone, in Portland, in Clackamas County, in our homes as it is in heaven. And Lord, we need your power for that to be done. So I pray that you would fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit. We are also told that you will give us today all that we need. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to fight temptation. Help us to fight the desire to satisfy our own selves. Help us to fight the desire to follow our own wills and do whatever we want. Help us to fight the desire to shortcut the process so that we could see your kingdom come and your will be done. I pray, Lord, for any person who was watching who is not a believer. I pray that they would call out to you in faith and they would know that they are saved because of Jesus. Saved from sin, saved from the eternal death, saved from hell, and given new life and victory. I pray for every believer that we would be full of your spirit so that we could live in that victory and no longer be in bondage to the things of this world. Help us to have victory and temptation as you did. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. God is with you. May his spirit fill us and empower us this week for the work that he has for us. In the name of Jesus, amen.